0: This is the McCann Dogs Agility Podcast. I'm Kael McCann. And I'm Jamie Morrow. We are professional dog trainers, members of Agility Team Canada, and together we've been teaching dog agility for nearly 20 years. Some nights after teaching classes, we'll spend hours talking about training, about our goals, and also some of the challenges we're facing and what we're gonna do to conquer them. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this podcast. Whether you're new to agility or competing at a world-class level, we're excited to have you listen in on our conversation. So let's head to the line. Today is a big day. Big one. Yep. you know why? Because of this guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> Yucko, you're our very oh. first guest ever. Yay. And there's no one that I would rather have as our very first guest than you. Absolutely. So we're excited oh, for today's... You. Yes, you're very welcome. Uh, we're excited for today's uh, topic. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about... Uh, Like dog's perspective on courses, courses in general, how to read a course, all the sort of things that go with it. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Yako in just a second, but I will warn you ahead of time that often when we get together and we talk agility, we start with one thing and then it goes off lots of different directions. And that's the beauty of a podcast because it can be whatever we want it to be, and we're just probably going to drop knowledge bombs over and over and over again. So I'm, I'm really excited for today. So. Our good friend Yako here is Yako uh, Węgnowi. He is uh, he and his spouse Janita. Um, help me with her last name again. Leinonen. Did I say it correctly?
1: Leinonen. Yes.
0: Okay. Good. You said it much better. Yeah. I was kind of close. Um, they are from Finland, and I met Yako and Janita. Um, I think. Oh my God! Almost ten years ago, in two thousand and twelve. I think I'm pretty sure that's what it was in Pennsylvania, USA, oddly enough. And I didn't know who the hell he was. And uh in about 10 minutes I was like, "Oh, these are my people." <laughs> and it was like it was that was it. That was we were we were done for, right? We were just destined to be be buddies. Um so I knew them for a couple years and then I twisted Yako's arm to come over to Canada to teach which allowed you to meet him mm-hmm. and our whole crew and then um and you needed came that time too. You needed to come. And she, I think she came for a couple times and then mm-hmm. we just got Yako back over a bunch of times. Um but anyways, it's been great. Um Yako and I are our very good buddies. We talk um we actually talk pretty regularly. It's like one of those things where like you don't talk for very long and then or you don't talk for a long time, and then you talk, and it's like you just pick back up from where you left off. Eh? We have very similar brains, and some something that might come up in today's podcast is um, we spoke yesterday about today's podcast, and um, we were talking about the um, verbals and running contacts and sort of our opinions on that, and what so so on and so forth. And Yaakov just says just just call me. Let's just talk about it. And then I don't, how long did we talk yesterday? For like an hour or something like that? I think so.
1: Yeah, probably even a little bit more. I know.
0: Time flies. Time does fly. Good conversation. Yeah. Anyways, it was really good. So I don't know, maybe some of that stuff will come up again. But uh, what's really cool is, you know, from all of us being um, competitors, obviously, so we have that way of thinking, but also the commonality that we have of being coaches. So we see so many different things that come up with different dogs or different breeds. students, breeds, things like that. So a lot of the conversations that we had yesterday was actually realizing that the same kind of things that we notice here when we were talking about verbals and running dog walks and things like that, the exact same things are coming up in Finland with, with Yako students mm-hmm. and, and all over the place. I just find that that's so interesting. So for today's topic, when we talk a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. One of the things that we kept coming back to yesterday when we were talking is that a lot of the issues that people were having with, you know, verbals or contacts or whatever it was, all came down to people not being able to make great decisions because they didn't know enough about the course and how a course works, or they didn't know enough about how a dog thinks and what a dog needs. They think like what they need. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. gave them that cue. Why didn't they do it? Well, it just doesn't work that way. So I just thought that today would be a really good opportunity to kind of talk about that. And if I think about where I personally learned a lot about um, like course design for one and just like reading a course that was, um, you obviously helped me with lots of things, but with that topic specifically, I remember, do you remember when I was visiting you guys and I was staying with you and you had to like do a presentation the next day on like course design and you were sitting in your office and you were like working away and working away. And I kept coming in and bugging you because you (laughs) weren't really doing anything. I don't know what you were doing. And, um, I came in, I was like, what are you working on? And you're like, oh, I have to do this thing on course design, blah, 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 blah. And like, you were kind of stuck. And then we started talking. And then I think we, you basically gave me like a two hour lesson on everything you knew about course design. Like, I don't know how I got so lucky. You needed it was like, are you a guys going to come to dinner? Like, what <laughs> are you doing in here? Anyways, it, but um that is when you started to talk to me about lead changes and how they worked. And this was so, this was such a long time ago. And I remember just having like, mind-blowing moment after mind-blowing moment because I was thinking back to all the times where like my dogs did something on course and like I didn't know why that happened and then mm-hmm. once I learned about lead courses, uh, lead changes, I was like, oh my god, that now makes so much more sense but um, you just have such a deep knowledge of how that stuff works and it's something I find is very hard to teach somebody if it comes naturally to you, don't you Yeah, think? absolutely. Hmm. Anyway, so I'm talking too much, so we're going to get going, but that's kind of what we wanted to talk a little bit about today, and I find the whole thing uh, quite fascinating. Um, So first things first, when we think about, um, I kind of mentioned this, but common problems on course, like things like wide turns, knocked bars, dogs not collecting, dogs taking off course, things like that, and then we have people, students that say like, why did that happen, or... I said in, 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 or whatever they they do because they're mad. When you have people, when you have students that that say that, um, you know, I gave the cue or, you know, he's not listening to me or whatever, what's your, like, go-to response to them? Um, I think
1: most of the times there's a seems to be a difference between like the human's point of view and the dog's point of view
2: yeah
1: and obviously we being humans we we tend to think um things always from our point of view and i i think that's probably the main problem because quite often you can kind of track down the mistake or whatever happened is that uh, the handler were actually thinking of queuing dog something the dog just didn't understand because the dog's point of view is uh, different. Yeah. So I think it's um, quite often a matter of miscommunication between the, the handler and the dog. Yeah. And um, always you find still that the handlers mean well. Mm-hmm. They try to obviously do their best, uh, and uh, they think they do exactly the right thing but then just the dog reads it for some reason differently and then i think that's when the trainer has to step in yeah and uh open up a little bit the dog's point of view and try to fix the problem
0: does the handler's point of view ever come first in your opinion
1: um I like this question. Well, I think
0: it's interesting. It, it is. Like, would you ever make a decision based on what the
1: handler needs? Or their capability? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, w- I would love to say no. I would love yeah. to say that the dogs are right, always right. And you have to do everything based on, on the dog's point of view. But it's obvious that because of the, um, the activity course as such, it's ever-changing environment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you have to be places yourself. And sometimes it's almost impossible to reach those places um, if you only think about the dog's point of view and and pick the side that actually would be better from the dog's point of view.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, sometimes you have to kind of cut corners a little bit and take the other side, um, even though I know it's not good for my dog. But still, I sadly have to... <laughs> <laughs> say that I, I need to do that some sometimes yeah but even even then i feel that the most important thing is that i know that it's a choice i make i know it's not good for my dog so i can then still do some things that will help my dog because the worst case scenario might be that the dog might even injure themselves or, or whatever. And that's obviously too high of the risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but like short answer would be that sometimes I understand that people have to do a compromise um, and make the better choice for them. But then, well, well, it's a difficult question. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Some <laughs> need to do that, but there there should be a line that you shouldn't cross.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when the, the risk is is too high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, if you think about average handler or whatever, understand that it's very difficult to to make the decision when yeah. what is too much. Yeah. You know, and and sometimes they don't even, or most of the time, they don't even know that they are choosing like. From the dog's point of view, the more difficult option. They just don't know. Yeah. So it's a lack of information, and there is so much to know that I can appreciate that nobody knows and controls everything. It's just impossible.
0: Yeah. This reminds me of something else that you and I were talking about last night, which I thought was really cool, and that's um, when you have somebody who's maybe less experienced trying to make handling decisions or actually not even less experienced. There's lots of really experienced people that have done agility for a long time that maybe don't know this. So, you know, sometimes when, um, we're doing a course and you get to like a certain section and like you just without even thinking, just intuitively, you know what move you should do there or it, Even deeper, you know exactly when you should give that cue. I I don't when I like when I walk a horse. I don't think about like oh yeah, I got to see where all the lead changes is. Oh, I got to see blah blah blah. I don't. I don't just naturally naturally know know it. Um, and I don't have to. I know. I don't have to rehearse when am I going to look. When am I going to say something? I just know how to do that. But that 's very, very difficult for people, and what you and I were talking up. about that is the the it 's one thing for me to be able to do it is another thing to teach somebody else how how to do that and actually you and i you, Yaku, you and i came you talked about this yesterday when we talked about like when to give a verbal at what point like what do you tell a student when you should exactly do something so there's a lot of things that Um, You guys have developed with like one mind dogs and and some of the methodologies and things like that, where you have some really great, I I don't like calling anything rules, because I don't really like rules. And I know you don't like rules either. But there's some guidelines that you have that I think would be really awesome to say on the podcast that I think it'd be so helpful for people, like even taking a second and talking about like the the three C's, because I think for timing between obstacles, understanding how that works is so important from the dog perspective because I think a lot of people, they connect with the dog, they give a cue, but they never watch to see if the dog's committed or they, uh, people often miss one, one of the, the steps. points and mm-hmm. then the whole thing falls apart. Um, do you want to talk for a sec a little bit about, about the three C's, what they are and then like how you even came up with that? The thing, the thing that I am so amazed about with you and Yako, uh, you and Unita is because is like there's like a thing and then they figure out a way to teach it that mm-hmm. like simplifies it. And then you're like, oh, why wow. the did I didn't think, think of it that way. Like that makes so much sense. But anyways, can you talk, can you talk a little bit about the, this, the whole um, CCC thing? Cause I think it's, it's like, it literally could change, change things for people on course, I think.
1: Mm. Um, so what we first found out is that um, the dog has basically a basic need to be in connection with the handler, it's, we are often describe it as like a, a telephone line. Yeah. So either it's open or it's closed. So the connection means that the dog is prepared to take information from you. And um, maybe the easiest way to describe what it physically is is that the direction that I'm watching. So if my head is turned slightly to my left, for example, like 45 degree angle from the straight line,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, then I know that my dog can see the side profile of my face and then she knows to start looking for the next obstacle from my left. If I'm watching straight forward, then the dog is seeking the connection from me and maybe when she's behind me, she starts to turn her head towards me. And uh, that's not dog's work um, inside the ring. Her work, obviously, is to perform obstacles, right? Yep. So I feel that then the obstacles are the ones that she should be actively trying to see and on. find. Yep. And how sh- she's able to do that is that I'm telling by the direction of my head, staying connected with her which side of me to come or start looking for the next obstacle. So I I feel that,
0: um, one yeah. of the things I would just want to ask about connection, because I, I find a lot of times when um people will say, oh, you lost connection, or like what I think sometimes people think that it's that you should be looking at the dog. So I think it's really um important for you, like you just explained it, but I think it's important to highlight that it's not sometimes you do look at the dog. Yes. But sometimes all you have to do is turn your head and just kind of know that the dog's there. That's that's the, like, it doesn't mean you should go from not looking at your dog to completely looking at your dog. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people misunderstand what connection means. It's not about eye contact all of the time, but I mean, you kind of explained that, but I think it's important to like spell it out for people because I, that's a common, a common thing that people think they should be doing. And then they run around staring at their dog the whole time. I'm looking at my dog. Yeah. And that's not helpful either. Would you, you agree? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's hundred percent. I agree. You are spot on right there. Mm -hmm. Um, and we often get that the same problem that people say that they try to look at their dog all, all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: basically, the times that I'm, I'm looking straight at my dog, there has, needs to be a couple of things. First of all, I need to have time to do that. Um, in many cases, it's in places where I need to send my dog away from me in mm-hmm. completely other direction. Because what I want to see then is that I want to see the commitment. So I want to see that what the cue or the handling I was giving to my dog, she got it. Right. And she tells that by watching, for example, turning her head towards the next obstacle. And, and for me, it's very important to see that because then I know that, okay, that's what she's going to do next. And I'm free then to uh, move on on the course. Um but obviously, in many cases, I, I think that the most important thing for the handler is to actually see where they are going. So one of the things that came up with this connection thing is that I realized that uh, I feel that the agility handlers are mostly using their uh, peripheral vision mm-hmm. all the time. I, it feels that I very seldom look straight at anything. Yeah, I'm so time true, I yeah. In, Look at yeah. the ground, yeah. But there is anything that I, I don't, you know, my brain doesn't process what I'm seeing there because there is something that I, I'm interested about. Yes, I'm just using the information that that I got, uh, I get from my peripheral vision. Yeah, and sometimes there are courses that I do only that. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, I'm only. Utilizing the information that comes from my peripheral vision instead of looking mm-hmm. at anything yeah. almost during the whole course. I
0: know it's like sometimes people so, say, "Well, what were you looking at?" or well, you know, what what did you do out there?" And you're like, "I have no idea."
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you actually didn't with with like this. You you didn't look at anything. Yeah, and that's yeah. completely true. You kind of utilized yeah. all the time the information that came from uh, the peripheral vision.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so cool.
1: Yeah, and then, then I think one of the things then is that um, you have to learn, actually, I think the skill that comes with this is that you have to learn to be able to run the agility course without looking where you are going.
0: Yes, that's really hard and for a funny, lot of people.
1: Yeah, exactly, That as funny as it might sound. So what I'm referring is that I'm not looking at anything, but I'm seeing a lot of shit. Yes.
0: <laughs> so um,
1: true. It, it sounds weird, but that's kind of true because I'm not looking at anything like this, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing a, a lot. Everything of stuff around that you. I, I'm using <laughs>
0: um, one thing that um, just sort of sparked my my uh, thoughts as you were talking about connection is so we we use this phrase um, when we are coaching called. Uh, transport obstacles or transport jumps. And I don't know if you use the same verbiage or not. But so, you yeah. know, um, basically, you know, people say, you know, handle every obstacle and, you know, stay connected with your dog. And like I say, you don't have to handle every obstacle. You only have to answer, handle some of the obstacles. There's some There's some obstacles that are, are naturally in the dog's path and you don't need to step in and be like, take this, take this, take this. Like some some obstacles naturally create a flow from one point to the next. And we call those transport obstacles. They just sort of move your dog. You don't need to handle them. You just, you can believe you can trust that your dog will do that. So you can save the space in your brain for more important parts. Um Do you, do you, what do you call those obstacles? Like, do you have a, do you know what I'm talking about?
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I know. I know. I, um, I I think there is a, you know, whenever people get together, it it comes down to how do you define a word? Right. So now, for example, I'm defining the word handling maybe a little bit differently. I I completely agree that you do not have to do actively something like take a step or whatever to make the dog understand, to take certain obstacles. But for me... If I'm moving straight forward and I'm staying connected with my dog, for me, that cat- falls into category of handling. Handling, yeah, 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 yeah so exactly. I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm handling constantly, but I'm not actually doing anything else. Yeah, I love that. Like mm-hmm. taking a step or a push or whatever to...
0: Yeah, so it's probably not good to say you don't have to handle it. it. It's that you don't have yeah, to exactly. at- manage it, manage it, yeah. or actively handle it. Yeah, I, I like I like that de- mm-hmm. definition, and it's important that we talk about these things because people are so literal. If you say yeah. to somebody, okay, you don't have to handle that," then the next time they, they run by, it, the dog runs by the jump, and they're like, "Well, you said not to handle it." And it's like, "Well, you should still connect, <laughs> look there, or whatever." <laughs> so you're right. That's a really really good point you, um, to define that even more. Um, Defin- definitively, I'm gonna just use the same yeah,
1: word. exactly. And the <laughs> other thing is, is the same about the, like, like watching the dog. Yeah, you know, it doesn't mean that you look at the dog straight in face all the time. Yeah, but you have to have to kind of maybe see it. Or I don't even, even so, even though I feel completely connected with my dog, I don't necessarily even see my dog. Not even from the corner of my eye. So let's take, for example, um, a blind cross. If I do a backside uh, backside to a blind, yep. for, for example, uh, there is definitely can be even dog can, can proceed on the course maybe sometimes even six meters without me seeing the dog at all. I just know she's six there. Six meters is like goes.
0: 18 feet for those North American yeah. people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Basically, what I saw is that she committed it, Mm -hmm. and then I'm kind of giving a cue um, by doing the blind cross. But there might be, like, I'm running 18 feet without actually seeing my dog, but I know that the dog can see me turning my head. Yeah. So, And so the um, connection part is completely... Uh, fulfilled from the dog's point of view, yeah. even though I don't actually see, see my dog at all, yeah. but still I feel completely one hundred percent connected.
0: Yeah, that's a um, good I, I, I handling did. example. I think a lot of people hate that one, and I bet a lot a lot, a lot of reasons why people I used to hate that. One. Oh yeah, because you're you're disconnected for, for a moment, a moment yeah. that people are also like Japanese. That move also gets people yeah. all fired up because you don't always feel perfectly in control because there's like a little point there's a moment. where you're like, it's in, a bit intuitive, but you're still maintaining connection the whole time. You just not, might not be looking. So yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. The perfect yeah. handling example. And,
1: and if you think about the other way around, I think most of the people, they kind of mess up with their blind crosses because they actually want to see. They yeah. turn their head too much and then they can't see where they are running so they tend to stop or their own paths start to swerve away from the obstacle yeah. or, or something something like that will, will happen. You can't run That's as fast when our... you're
0: turned around the other way. No. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and what, yeah. And what you are talking about intuitive handling, um, I feel that it's also... I don't know, it's it's a little hard to explain, but I feel that I can predict based on the training and um, experience that I have done it so many times yeah. that I feel fully in control because I have done it like, I don't know, 10,000 times mm-hmm. and my dog never has missed the, the obstacle. Yeah. So I kind of feel more like it's, it's not about me controlling. I feel that I'm completely in control. But what I'm referring to nowadays is that I kind of have a you know, crystal ball that you can predict future. Mm-hmm. So that's an analogy what I use that I can see very clear picture in my crystal ball. That when I do this, I already know what's going to happen. Yeah, And, and now the emphasis on, is on the word I know. Yes. It's not a guess. It's more like at least educated guess. Yes. Or, or something like that. And that should be enough because if if you are not able to do that, I feel that many times you then you are just doomed uh, eternally to be late.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> I think um, that's a good way of thinking of it. I think that... It's definitely harder with younger dogs when you're like trying to figure out... like that teamwork. Yeah. But when you have a, a dog that you've been practiced with, like like you said, and you do have um, a strong sense of their training, they're trained to do their job. You know, when you ask for this thing, you're going to get that. How they commit to obstacles. And, yep. And then on top of that, having a truer understanding of how they actually take the obstacles, like where, if you, if they're jumping an extension, where do they take off? Therefore... What's your timing with that? If you ask them for collection, where do they take off? Therefore, what's your timing for that? If you know all of those things, remember you showed me a video once, and I can't remember, I think it was with you in, in one of your dogs, I don't remember which one it was, where you taped um, the takeoff spot and the landing spot with with physical tape on the ground, and then you ran your dog through it, and then we watched it back in slow motion, and your dog literally took off and landed on the pieces of tape and I'm not talking like two obstacles. It was like a se- it was like a full sequence, and oh. it was like boom, 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 boom. I bet you there's very few people that I actually I think I think I might have tried it. I was pretty good at it, but I haven't done it in years and years and years and years. I I don't have no idea whether I'd be able to do it with B or not. Mm-hmm. That was like back with like my older dogs, but we should set that up and try it again. But I think though that that furthermore to what you were saying. When you have a sense that you know those things, it takes so much pressure off running the dog. If you have all of these things in place, think of how much easier it would be to get through course after course after course after course clean. Not that I'm saying it's, it's possible to do course after course after course clean, clean perfectly all the time. Shit happens. However, your success, success rate goes way up mm-hmm. when you have a um, deeper knowledge of some of these things for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one, one of the things I'm also um, thinking that very often you hear the phrase that people say that you need to be brave when, when you do your handling choices. You need to, you know, somehow handling bravely and, and uh, like, for example, I do something from the distance and people say that, whoa, you did that. It was that, risky. Like, how, how did you have the nerve to do that from such a long distance? Yeah. That, that was really brave. But I feel that the you need to be brave if you do something that you don't know the outcome. Well, to get better. Yeah. If you don't know the outcome, then you have to be brave in order to do that. Right. But because I know already, I can predict the outcome because I have done it before. I know my dog. Yeah. I know all the elements that go with it. So I actually don't have to be brave. Just another day in the office. Yeah. And that's, you're being
0: smart, not brave. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. And that gives you that um, sense of um, Mm -hmm. self-confidence. It's based on training. It's not something that somebody comes from somewhere and says that now you need to trust your dog. The trust is built. Yeah, it's not. It does come up from from the air. Somebody is, you know, waving a magic wand, and now you trust your dog. Yeah. It doesn't just work that way. No, the, the trust is built, and uh, like you said, if if I have a young dog, I have nothing to trust on because I I really don't know, or I actually know that she doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, so I have to. I have to. <laughs> but then I think that what. What should start in the first training with the puppy, I feel that nowadays I think it as I start to draw that picture that will later on to show up in that crystal ball. Mm. You understand? Yeah. It's not there. It's something that I'm kind of building training by training, but all the trainings are uh, kind of going towards that one goal that I want to learn how this dog is working and I know what skills she needs to possess when she gets older for mm-hmm. me to utilize and be able to handle her, you know, myself.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. This comes back to, we did a, a podcast a few episodes ago on um like young, do- like developing young dogs. And one of the things that we were talking about is a lot of the time, rather than doing agility per se with our young dogs, we're just trying to figure out the dog. Like, are they a f- Are they more prone to like being flanky? flanky. Are they more prone to ch- like chasing and we're going to have to deal with that? Are they naturally like more handler focused and you're going to have to work on getting them to be focused and like whatever it might be. Like what is the, do- are they sensitive? Are they going to, do they need you to build them up a little bit? Are they super high minded and need to, you know, tone them down a little bit. So it's all about that. And I, I think that that's sort of what you're talking about is it's, you're developing the process, you're learning the dog so that as you go forward and you start developing more handling skills, more agility, you know how to make the decision better for that dog because you have a, you have a more thorough understanding of kind of like what you're working with.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely like that. And the other thing is that I think everybody should think a little bit about their goals. Um, because I think, like, when you're an experienced handler, you have kind of clear picture already in your head that, okay, where, where all this is going. Yeah. Um, you know your uh, good sides and shortcomings as a handler, so you, you kind of know what skills your dog maybe needs to have so that you can be successful mm-hmm. um, as a pair. Um, and when you have a very clear picture of that, so you know where you are going. Um Then you start kind of since the day one, you start to figure out, okay, what I'm going to teach her in the long term that when, when she's ready to compete or whatever, we get the best out of us as a pair. Um, so and obviously then you, you need to know the dog. You have to have more or less clear goals because I also feel that the the, the higher you are aiming, the more skills, obviously, your dog needs to needs to possess. Yep. Um, and then you have to also try to figure out that um, you have the resources to build that type of the, of the dog, mm-hmm. like as a, as a handler or achieve your goals as a handler, as a dog trainer. Um, and one other very important thing is that I, I also think and thoroughly believe that you also should be happy going towards that goal because that's something <laughs> I, I, boy. I sometimes see. I was
0: like what is he going to say <laughs> here yeah yeah that's so true yes.
1: yeah yeah because, because some, sometimes I I nowadays see that for example the running contact because it's it's hot
0: it hot, is hard you know
1: everybody <laughs> from, wants to have it and, oh it's uh, hot he said it's "Yeah, it's la- flashy flashy newest thing and, and whatever and uh, it's hot and hard uh, uh-huh <laughs> And then then often you see, I see in my training, very unhappy people. Much because they're not, the dogs so aren't getting they, the contact? Yeah, because yeah. they put a lot of effort and time into that. And then they then don't get, for some outcome. reason, they just don't get it to work. And they get really, really frustrated about it. And um, we have had a couple of discussions with our students that, um, who decided that these dogs or you as a pair need running contacts. And it quite yeah, often gets them really silent. Mm-hmm. It's not their goal when they start to think of it. Actually, what they want to do is they want to have fun. They want to do clean runs. They want to be happy doing agility. And then when you kind of ask a little bit, they, they all of a sudden they realize that the running contacts aren't making them happy. Mm. It's giving them like too, way too much pressure, and but then they need somebody from the outside to kind of give them a permission that you do not have to have running contacts. And when they kind of get that guidance from outside, it's like a huge relief, relief. Like, pressure's oh. off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And then they kind of find the happiness back again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And now I'm not saying that it's for everybody. Somebody, it can be that the running contact is the thing. That's why they love doing it. They love training it. So it can also be other other way around. But it's about more like personal goals. Mm-hmm. You should set them yourself. It, it should never be kind of...
2: Defined by somebody else.
1: Pick, ...picked up from somewhere and you don't even know where it came from. But mm-hmm. Because everybody else is having, I need to have, or, or whatever might be the reason.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's a word often lost sometimes.
0: I see. I agree. I think, um, do you think that we should start like running Dog Walk Anonymous where people can like, <laughs> we can give therapy lessons to those people who are doing running contacts? Oh my <laughs> because like some people just have meltdowns about it because it is it is really hard. But they're, you know, anyways, we could go down a whole bandwagon on this. That's another topic for another day. But um, mm. I, do, I do think that the uh, point though was to – about the happiness thing. I think that that's really, really important because part of your teamwork and part of the whole thing is like if you're spending all of your time just frustrated, whether take aside running contacts, just in general. It could general, be anything. It uh-huh. could be anything. It's not really going to move you forward to where to where you're going. That's where you need your coach to be able to say. Call you out on it. Yeah. yeah. This is what needs to happen. Um, one of the other things, I'm going to just change directions here a little bit. Um, there's another point. Well,
1: oh, Oh, oh oh sorry yeah we are, still, we are still missing two C's oh oh, oh, oh. that was only that, fr-
0: that was only connection <laughs> you're right
2: <laughs> <laughs> not yet okay sorry
0: sorry okay so we talked about connection there's two more C's that we need to talk about <laughs>
1: sorry <laughs> yeah so obviously the next next one uh, would be the commitment yeah part that for me the commitment means the exact moment the dog knows which obstacle she um, should perform um and that can be sometimes really really early um and for for the handler it would be very important to kind of understand when the dog has committed
2: mm-hmm.
1: because after the dog has committed the obstacle basically then the dog for me kind of i think it as like the dog has promised me to to do that obstacle so then i think it kind of the responsibility of uh, of uh Staying committed to that obstacle, it kind of transfers. Yeah,
0: I was just about to dogs. ask you, are you still in the belief that if your dog um, commits to something, that they should stay committed to something instead of, like, dropping it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Definitely. 100%. Yeah. Only thing if I, I might have something like, a, you know, like an emergency break type of command, like, come here Oh, shit, I didn't whatever. mean to
0: send you there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, which kind of means that okay, drop drop whatever you are doing and and come come there. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I feel that I'm I'm a firm believer of really really strong uh, obstacle commitments for the dog. Yeah. And that's I feel, I feel that we we spend quite a lot of time and and uh, training to teach them that. Uh, teach 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 our dogs to do that.
0: Yeah, this came up in our conversation yesterday when we were talking about verbals, but I think we were also talking about commitment and when somebody understands um, or has trained like our dogs, for example, our dogs have very early commitment because of our training, which means though that we have a, a small, a smaller window than maybe some, a dog that has a later commitment to tell them what they should be doing. Or to get to the critical point. Yeah, yeah. because what Yaku and I were talking about um, like throttles yesterday and how a lot of people allow their, so if you have like a two-jump throttle where the dog's going over the jump and then th- throttling right to the inside mm-hmm. um, between, like a lot of people will let the dog take the first jump and Long. then they give the throttle cue and when the dog takes the jump as a 180, they're like, I said in, in, in. And it's like because they don't don't, they don't, it was just, I know we used that example yesterday, Yako, but it's such a clear one to really like for people to, um, to envision, um, because, you know, when the dog commits to the first jump, they're committing to the jump as if they're going, you know, to take it as a 180 because Mm -hmm. people aren't thinking about what the dog needs is circles back to like our dog's perspective thing. um, but I think the threat of a situation aside, that also goes for like getting a tight turn or doing a discrimination or whatever it might be when your dog has early commitment. The benefits are, well, you don't have to like stay there as long, you can cue and you can get out of there and the dog knows their job. But the harder part for people where you have to have some skill behind you and some, you know, good timing is you now do have a bit of a smaller window where you have to say, okay, I see that you see it. Now this is how you need to take it. Kate. Okay, you you know my job now I need to go. But when you run a fast dog, that small window of things can be very stressful for people. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely, and, and then if it's the, so like a discrimination or something, and if the dog has already committed basically the wrong obstacle, then I feel it's much harder for them them to kind of you know change, change their them. mind anymore, yeah. even yeah. though they understand the discrimination as such yeah. even really well, but they have already committed. I feel that my dogs are they don't change that easily, even though they the discrimination is it's okay, it's not bad, but yeah. I have to give the cues. What to take like really early, before before they have committed anything. Like yep. then I have to say already really early. And um, this is where
0: taping comes in handy for yeah, people, so people can see when the do- yeah totally. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a question for you. Do you think that um, typically dogs who have early commitment is uh, are dogs that are faster in agility? Do you think that? Um, like, don't think about the training side of things, but do you think that dogs who commit to obstacles early are typically faster in speed?
1: Well, yes, in general, yes. I feel that maybe the dogs that have a little bit later commitment, they normally maybe require a handler that is moving a little bit more. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But then if you have a good, good handler that can really run well, then there even not might be any uh, difference in, in times. Mm-hmm. But I feel that type of dogs they maybe need need a little bit more active at the active handling. Yeah. And the other other thing though is that which definitely is the fact that the dogs that have a little bit later commitment, from my point of view, I, I feel that they are much easier to handle. Yeah. To handle. For like, like, the handler uh, not to think about making clean, clean runs, yeah, as- if you think about making clean runs, then it's not much less risk for of courses and and stuff stuff like that. So there are also perks to to later commitment. So it's and so again, like you know, it's not like it's always like this or always like this. Yeah. There are always pros and cons, and it depends, you know, the the handler dog pair. Yes. Yeah. Uh, with- what's dictates what is best for for everybody
0: yeah the reason why I asked you that question is I find sometimes when I have students that are frustrated that their dogs are like going off course and finding this line or you know taking this tunnel instead of doing the discriminant tunnel and they're getting sort of irritated I look at the dog Mm. and think like shit this dog is fast like this dog sees its job sees its line and like is going and I think I see it because I can see when the dog's committed. I can, I can see that the dog's doing what they're supposed to do. It's just the person's job wasn't done correctly. But I think if, I think what I often will say to people is that you need to be better at giving your cue, but you have to appreciate the fact that the reason why your dog is making this error is the same reason why they're so fast. And that's what you want. So you got to figure yeah. out how to drive your Ferrari because we don't want to turn it into a, Slower car, because that's yeah. like, that's what happens. People turn their dog slower because they they start to say and this this was sort of the next um, point I was going to make but it just go- comes perfectly with commitment is the whole like natural versus like I need to tell you to do this type of thing because some people get very frustrated when the dogs are on a natural line we see it as like what, what? a dog mm-hmm. right what a dog perfect that's what they should be doing but when then people start being upset oh he's having some wine, oh. wine cheers mm-hmm. we didn't clink today clink. there we go um, clink 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 <laughs> clunk clunk clink clink clunk clunk. um when um what the hell is i saying oh when people um people need to appreciate that you can't you can't turn you don't want to turn that off of the dog you don't want to suddenly make a dog think that they shouldn't Find a line and take it hell bent for election. That's how they should run. And then they need to also be listening to what you're saying. But I think sometimes people get frustrated with that, and then they overcompensate. Well, now the dog doesn't run with that confidence, full confidence anymore because they think, well, you're gonna you're gonna change me and you're gonna change me. And I don't really know. This is what I think I'm supposed to do. But now you're switching things up. So, um, but I think that that sometimes can like mess up dogs' commitment. You can have a dog that has the potential to have really great commitment, and then you can you can botch it up. Or the other thing that happens. Is you can have a dog that has not very good commitment, and you can improve that a lot with, with training and, and so on and so forth. So I think what's good to note for people who are listening is that your dog's commitment that they have now isn't necessarily what they can have forever. Like you have the opportunity to influence that based on being a better handler and being a better dog trainer. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I definitely. Love that. I my. Uh, <laughs> My advice normally for those people who dog takes off course uh, and they start to be frustrated about that, I always give the same advice. Reward your dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's that's kind of the most common thing I always say to them. When they are like, but she did the wrong obstacle. And then I, yeah. You're like, you no.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you, you do, do you, the wrong thing. Therefore, your like, like, dog did the right <laughs> thing. Yeah. So yeah. true.
1: Definitely. And then, then the next thing I tell them that, which I, I feel it, it has helped, helped many people is that um, um, I have drawn some kind of diagram about it. You can, you can kind of uh, think that if, if, uh, if there is like, uh, in general, you think about how difficult it is to handle a dog in, in agility. And then you think about the dog's speed. Right. Mm-hmm. So what what happens is that every second the dog gets faster, uh, the imagined difficulty of the handling rises,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and that's just how it is. And people need to give themselves time, because if you want that fast dog that is in this category here, when they get fast enough and and they have early commitments we, which equals for me early commitment is is often equals speed, mm-hmm. it equals confidence dog
0: independence uh,
1: and, and, and all, all kind of this type of stuff. They just make the decision so early and like you already referred in some other thing is that the time window that it gives to us as handlers it gets really narrow. Short.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then, then it, it just it just The fact is that handling the the faster the dog gets, the sooner it earlier it makes commitments. It just it is more difficult to handle. Yeah. So, but it's a hell of a lot more fun. Life would be that both get frustrated. It'll come, but it will take more practice and more time. But you have to be merciful to yourself as a handler, mm-hmm. that you give yourself more time to adjust with that dog.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: most of them never had the dog like that, for example. They m- might come, you know, the background of uh, having a much slower dog and whatever. That's a so, hard transition, then, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. And when they understand that it's okay, it is more difficult task to handle faster dog, then they can kind of maybe... Give them more, they uh, themselves more, more time to adjust. Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. With, without without needing to take the dog's speed away, mm-hmm. you know, make make the dog slower, which doesn't make any sense.
0: No, <sighs> um, I don't know if this sort of falls under um, um, commitment or not. But what are your thoughts on? Um, and we touched a, a bit on this yesterday, but what are your thoughts on things like? Um, trying to figure out how to set the question up so yesterday you and i were talking about how on on course how there's some obstacles that like people view as being off course for example but we know it's not really a problem like a tunnel for example where the dog would have to like lead change -change away in order to get to it or situations where the dog might like flick away and so people don't want to handle because they're worried about that happening but like naturally the dog shouldn't Shouldn't do do that. that what are your thoughts on um on that topic and then also because I know from training with you before you're you're trying to make sure that the dogs aren't um anticipating too much on some of those things so that you don't have to like run around like worrying that your dogs are going to be like really like flinchy and like turn away but I think it's important for people to have a, a more thorough understanding of what actually This circles back to what we said before, like about understanding a course, like if you look at a course, you need to be able to know that that tunnel's not going to be a problem, or that jump's not going to be a problem, because the dog shouldn't even naturally be looking there. But then people don't necessarily know that. And then they overhandle everything. And then they end up making a mistake because they're trying to juggle 500 balls when they really could have just run past it. Um, I don't really know what my question is. But that's sort of the the topic because we that happens a lot with um it sounds like it's a lack of understanding though yeah well how would you how would you describe to somebody about like how to I guess you would have to teach them about lead changes in order for them to really understand that I think that's a big component of being able to foresee that being a issue on course or not would you say or would you describe it another way
1: well, I, I think maybe the best way to kind of people to study that might be like what we are referring as either or training. Do you use the same phrase? Yeah,
0: we say this or that training. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, but the same, the thing. same, same idea because um, kind of what you see in dog training often is that um, when people do something, they they try to get the dog to do something and then the dog does it like three times wrong first and they don't change much and they just try to make the dog to understand and then the dog does the correct thing um and then they are happy but they don't prove that that like because then the dog if you let it let it just be there the dog kind of keeps on doing that because now she knows what you expected her Mm -hmm. but um uh, the dog might still not understand the handling behind it. Just offering you a behavior because you were happy. Yeah. But she doesn't really follow, follow your lead at all. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the only way I know that, uh, I don't know how to explain. I, I just feel it. I feel it. that The dog is disconnected yeah. to me. I, I don't know how to explain but it. How but how do you just, teach that
0: to someone too? Like that natural... That is an interesting thing because you're right because sometimes like when we're training our own dog, I, I've had senses where like she's just doing that because she thinks that's what I want her to do, but I'm not actually telling her to do that. She just is like, ooh, you were excited because I, I did this before, so I'm going to do it again. Like they have to, um, yeah, I do know what you mean. It is it is hard to understand, but that that's why the this or that or the either or training is so important because you can start to see: is my dog actually queuing off me, or is she just replicating something that she my emotion? Is right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that yeah, that's exactly. why it's so important.
1: That would be my 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 advice to how to, how to do, kind of see if the dog is doing doing the right thing for the right reason. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's void. and then. Then you kind of maybe also get rid of. You understand, and the dog understands also better that she un- learns to the read, the handle. Okay, if she's doing that, I need to do this. If yeah. she's doing something different, um, I'm expected to do something different too. So that I think that that would be how you prevent those type of things happening. That dog is offering you too easily the the behavior not really waiting for you to cue it, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then then sometimes uh, the other thing is that if you ever have the feeling in the course that something is happening, like, too easily, it probably is.
0: <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> you just happened to happen by accident, but the correct way. Fucky. <laughs> Lucky. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I actually I see that happen a lot. It actually just it makes me it just makes me giggle. I see that ever so often in um, our lower levels in agility, and, and we laugh at this sometimes because the student th- we know damn well the students never trained their dog to do, and the dog just naturally does dog Just it. naturally figures it out, and like they look like they've just come back from the world championships, <laughs> and you think, man, what a, a dog, dog. <laughs> what a dog. <laughs> Dogs like, mm, I think you mean this, and it just happens to like all work. I just love that. It just gives you such an appreciation for how damn smart dogs are. Like they just can get, they can just sort of figure it out a little bit, but then you don't want the handler to get false hope (laughs) to think that like they have that down because they might not be able to do it again.
1: (laughs) That's that's one of the things that why I feel that why just being consistent, it's so important because I feel that, uh, that for example, because um, I try to do things really consistently in my handling and, uh, maybe there is kind of two sides to that. The other one is that when I do everything the same way every time or as as much same way as possible, I kind of uh, drive that skill to an automated level so I don't have to think how to do it in in, um, in the course because mm. I, I, I don't have time to do that. So it kind of goes to my spine or subconscious mind or w- whatever and just comes out yeah. without me thinking of it. And then what I I learned now, for example, with my youngest dog, Wow, is that I felt that, uh, like you said, they are so smart. So based on solely on that thing that you you work with them with a cons- consistent manner, they pick up, you know, a lot of stuff just based on that. Yeah. So they are constantly learning, even though you don't kind of even try to teach them anything.
2: Yes. Like, you
1: know, in that, that sense that, okay, this is training and now there is your reward and and, and there is obstacle and now I give you a command. But they all the time pick up things. Uh, so just being consistent, I feel that the dogs learn really much the basic handling and how to ha- follow your, your, your handling and follow your lead in the course already just without you have to be needing to do a a specific training for
0: that. Yeah. I I think that that's a really good point. And um, this is going to be a sensitive topic for for Jamie, but um, (laughs) one of the things that has has come up recently is, so she has a, a young dog that's like, little over eight months and she has been doing a lot of um individual like skill training and things like that. He's a puppy. And um she's obviously a very skilled and experienced handler. And the other day, just for shits and giggles, she decided to put a small basic level sequence together. Jumps were low. It was like I don't know, eight eight yeah. obstacles, just jumps and tunnels and nailed it on the first try. So amazing. And a couple people were like well, how are you, how could you possibly be able to do this sequence? You know, he's only eight months old, blah, 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 blah. And, and I literally just put it together. <laughs> I know. And then she's like, oh, my God. And because what happens is when you have an experienced person who's consistent with the understanding, that person literally only has to do a couple repetitions Mm -hmm. of something, and it just falls together. It's very, very different than an inexperienced person, uh, an untrained dog, you know, that type of thing. It's just, I think people need to understand that, that the more consistent you are and the more thorough the training is, you don't have to do as much repetitions in training. And that's something that we're all mindful of when we're training our dogs, for sure. I mean, that's something that, you know, you guys, I we've had endless conversations about that, about, you know, not having to do 100 million repetitions in order to achieve something, you know, but I just think that that's just when he was saying that it just reminded me of that, because it's so true. If you're if you are consistent, and you have a more thorough understanding of what your goals are, like, literally all the things that we've been talking about, it does start to come together so much quicker. And it's not really that hard. Now, when you bring like competition into the mix and you bring pressure and you bring all of these other things, like obviously that's harder, but just running a little eight obstacle sequence with like a couple crosses and a backside, like you could do that in your sleep. You've done that hundreds of times. So, it's just I think it's I just think that that's an important point to bring up. That's mm-hmm. where that consistency comes in play because you don't have to do it so many times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that kind of all have like in the past I have like heard too many times, uh, uh, you know, when people see that you come with uh, with a relatively young dog and the dog is basically com- competition ready, what they the initial thought like automatically is that okay that dog has been trained so much mm-hmm. because they think maybe from their perspective that how much training would they think that it needs to get the dog to that point, mm-hmm. but. I assure you that it couldn't be more far away from the truth,
2: yeah, yeah so
1: so it's possible to do so little training that whenever we say that we we train like once a week or whatever and and then you go to competition, nobody believes it basically it's now quality over but, quantity,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, definitely very, very important
0: um Should we move on to the last c the last c.
1: <laughs> oh you remember
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't make the same mistake twice Jako.
1: <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> the last thing would be would be q and all the cues are need to be given for the dog as early as possible as soon as possible as early
0: it, it both oh. makes sense mm-hmm. yep Ah, okay. <laughs> Sometimes Yoko so, teaches us about English. She yeah. actually did that before we hit record. Yeah.
1: I forget what it was, yeah. but we were
0: saying something wrong yeah, and you corrected
1: thinking, us. I was thinking that it doesn't mean, if I say early, it doesn't mean that I have to give it uh, like 5.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's far too early
1: for no. us. Yeah. So um, as early as, as possible, um, preferably immediately after, after commitment. Mm-hmm. So, and the cues can be whatever, you know, all the handling that tells the dog what to do. So what type of line to take should you need to collect or extend or turn left, right, continue straight, um, um, whatever, or maybe the next obstacle command, whatever cue you are giving the dog so that the dog understands what to do after this obstacle I have now
0: commit Yeah. Yep. and then as far as the queue goes, like this what we're talking about with the 3 Cs, connect, um commit queue, it it really doesn't matter um what handling m- methods you follow or what your queues are or like cuz everybody does slightly different, but this formula that we're talking about today, it 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 it, it's clear. And what it's you need about to do. what the dog needs is mm-hmm. nothing to do with what you're handling. What you're handling is every dog needs the information in this way in order to be able to listen to you and to be on course. So when we talk about cue, it, it, I don't want people to get stuck on like a methodology. It doesn't matter. It just it's what the dog needs. What I also find is really funny is that all like you say like a German or whatever, and then people are like, oh well, I do a, um, a backside blind, and I'm like. What we're doing is the same thing. Like, because they will do a German yeah. in front of me, but they call the backside blind, and I have to explain, like, the whole difference. But what I think is just so funny is people all think like they have their own thing, but when you watch them, it's the same. It's the same thing. You just yeah. call it a different name. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Except what I have found is that there are certain um, nuances that define some of the different moves that often look really same. That would actually be another good podcast. We were going to talk about that as why we have, why, why, um, it's so helpful to have names for everything and common language you you must get that, asked that maybe not so much anymore, because I think people are more used to it, but like before when one of my dogs came out and you had like your list of like twenty five techniques, people were like i can't possibly remember all that like why do you need all these names for everything And then when you explain mm-hmm. it and sort of use it, you start to realize wow it's a heck of a lot easier to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> and have a more thorough understanding of what your cues should be when you know exactly what you should do for each thing. Where should your head be looking? You know, where should you be pointing? If, if all of those things have a, have a meaning a meaning and a consistency, mm. then your cues become a lot more, a lot more consistent. But uh, we always laugh about that because people get so hung up on the names of things. We just spout them off because it's like speaking a different language. But, you know, you, it, it's so helpful. It is helpful. It is so helpful
1: yeah and in the beginning i I, when we started that i I just i don't care what they are called (laughs) that like i said it's it's not important yeah the important part part is that there are better and worse ways of doing stuff and it's good for learning and it's good for communicating that that it's kind of specific name yeah obviously it doesn't matter what things are called it's all the same Mm -hmm. but um i think it's just benefits Again, benefits the handler, and whatever benefits the handler benefits the dogs. Mm -hmm. And I think we all agree on that—that we are interested about, you know,
0: benefiting the dog.
1: And yeah, benefiting the dogs. Handling the should always be the main main focus. Whatever we do.
0: Yeah. So now that we've covered all of the three C's, we kind of did it in a long way. um, We we can probably wrap up now, but we actually have, we had a few more things on our sheet. Yako, you said you had a few more things that you wanted to cover as well, right? That we didn't get to. So you know what I think that means. I think we're going to go to part, part two. two. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. So um, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any of our episodes. We have a whole bunch of really awesome things uh, coming up. If you are listening to us on a um, any of the podcast platforms, you can watch this episode on McCann Dog's Agility YouTube channel. Or if you are watching us on YouTube, you can listen to us as a podcast. But um, we're going to jump off, and we are going to continue this conversation in part two. two. So thanks a lot for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to our McCann Dogs Agility Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out the links in the show notes below. On that note, happy training.